In two regular season matchups against the 49ers, the Seahawks have looked overmatched, losing 27-7 as well as 21-13 at home. What lessons did they learn in those two games, and how can they apply them to avenge those losses and win in the wildcard rematch coming up? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down in a jam-packed Tell the Truth Tuesday of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me for our playoff edition of Tell the Truth Tuesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there for spending your evening with us here on Tuesday night, and of course, all of our valued listeners that make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a special edition Tell the Truth Tuesday coming your way. Rather than just one segment, the entire episode is dedicated to breaking down the cold, hard truth. What went wrong? What lessons the Seahawks should have learned in their first two losses to the 49ers? And most importantly, how they can apply those lessons to trying to beat San Francisco on the road in the wildcard round. It's going to be a really fun episode. Looking forward to getting to it. And this episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players. And if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on Tell the Truth Tuesday of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks officially are in the postseason and they get a third date with the San Francisco 49ers on paper. This would look to be a major mismatch, and why? that's why the Seahawks, after losing both their games to the 49ers in the regular season, are currently 10-point underdogs. The 49ers have won 10 consecutive games. But, Rob, if you go back and look at those first two matchups, and we'll have a chance to break this down on offense, defense, maybe some special teams sprinkled in there, there were a lot of missed opportunities for the Seahawks in those two games. And in particular, on the offensive side of the football, I think that they were given a very harsh reminder what killer turnovers can do, especially when you are the inferior team in a matchup where you are the underdog. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we know that the San Francisco 49ers have a heck of a squad. Um, you know, again, they, they've already beaten Seattle twice this year. But, uh, you know, I, I went back and I, I watched the tape and I was expecting to see vastly inferior opponents in Seattle uh, against the 49ers, similar to the national championship game, frankly, that we saw uh, a night ago with, with Georgia just you know, just smacking TCU down. And that was not what I saw, Corbin. I mean, obviously, the 49ers won these two football games. But I saw a team in the Seahawks that actually competed a little bit better than I had remembered it. And there's no question about it. The 49ers got the big plays. And as you just said, obviously, some of those big plays were turnovers. The Seahawks just had some killer turnovers. For Seahawks fans who don't remember it, it was that week two loss in Santa Clara where DJ Dallas 
took the ball and rather than run it, he attempted to throw the ball to DK Metcalf. That was an interception um, in the uh, in the week 15 loss to the 49ers in Seattle. Travis Homer had the fumble right before halftime. Um, going back to Santa Clara, Tyler Lockett had a muffed punt that mm-hmm. San Francisco uh, you know, took over, um, you know, that, that led to another touchdown that allowed the 49ers to jump out to a 20 to zero lead at halftime. Corbin, it was 13 zero when Seattle was in position to potentially take, uh, you know, to score a touchdown before Dallas's, uh, you know, ill-conceived attempt there. And to me, that is what I kind of come back to is one of the reasons why I do feel optimistic that Seattle can absolutely compete in this game because they did so earlier. If they can eliminate the turnovers, that's one of the big check marks that Seattle has to cross off if they are going to be successful in Santa Clara. There's no such thing as a good turnover. I guess if you want to lean that way, if it's an arm punt on like third and 20 for midfield, I guess you can say hey, that one's okay. But there are turnovers that are worse than others. And clearly those first two that you mentioned, the Dallas shot put interception right into the hands of Shavarius Ward. They were in the red zone. It was the only time they got down there the entire game. But if they could have scored a touchdown there, as you said, it would have been a one score game. It would have been 13 to seven. Instead, it ends up being 20 to nothing in that game. The only points they got were from Tariq Woolen blocking a field goal and Mike Jackson taking it back. And then Tyler Lockett, that, muff, that muffed punt in that game was a huge play too that led to 49ers points as well. And then the Travis Homer fumble. All the momentum was on Seattle's side at home. And then suddenly it's not. The 49ers have the ball inside the five-yard line. They punch it in. And rather than Seahawks either getting within a point or taking the lead before half, they end up giving the 49ers a touchdown, gift wrapping it for them. And so they made too many critical mistakes. And then on top of that, this is the other thing that jumps out when you look at the film from those first two games. And this really is a microcosm of the entire second half for the Seahawks. The inability to sustain drives. Six for 20 on third downs in these two games against the 49ers. They lost the time of possession battle by more than 23 combined minutes in those two games. And this is probably the one that drives Pete Carroll the craziest. And maybe it's why he was wearing a hat this week, because he was getting tired of pulling his hair out from the inability to consistently run the football. But only 14 carries in those two games in each of them. He wants 28 carries a game. They had a half of that in these two contests, and they had to throw the ball way more than what they wanted to. Geno Smith attempted 44 passes in the Week 15 game at home, in part because they fell behind. And against that pass rush, that is not a good omen. So the inability to sustain drives, too many negative plays, a lot of incomplete passes, negative run plays, sacks, penalties, put them behind the sticks. And this is about the worst team in the NFL to get yourself off schedule against. And the Seahawks, again, you can look at this as self-inflicted wounds. They did it in both these games. They have to play much cleaner. And just by default, they're going to have a much better chance to beat the 49ers, a team that I thought they were competitive against in both those games, but too many mistakes to overcome. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, Pete Carroll talked about it today in his press conference, and uh, he, he talked about just how difficult it is to match up with the 49ers. And I think that he was referring to San Francisco's offensive superstars. Um, you know, obviously, Debo Samuel, 
Christian uh, McCaffrey, um, you know, of course, George Kittle, et cetera, et cetera. But it's on the defensive side of the ball that I really think that uh, San Francisco has such a, a dominant trio of players in that front seven. Everybody talks about Nick Bosa. He certainly took over uh, the, these games at times. Um, but uh, again, Eric Armstead uh, in the middle and then Fred Warner at the middle linebacker position really does make it very, very difficult um, for Seattle to have any type of sustained success um, against a defense with that type of a front. Um, and so, again, it is going to be critical. If Seattle is going to be able to be competitive in this game, again, they, they have to do the, the obvious. They have to protect the football. And that's going to be an issue if the weather is nearly as bad as they are forecasting here. But I think the biggest thing is you have to kind of play keep away with uh, from San Francisco's offense because, again, they do have as dynamic of a defense or, excuse me, of an offense as they have. You are missing arguably your best defensive player that was available in both of those previous two games in Jordan Brooks here. And so, again, Seattle is going to have to be able to sustain drives, as you said, Corbin. And so it's going to be critical that they're able to run the football more than 14 times uh, against the 49ers if they want to be able to sustain those drives and keep a San Francisco offense that isn't necessarily splashy in terms of just, you know, they're not going to be one of the NFL's leading scores, but they're so deadly efficient that that's why you got to keep Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense on the sideline. Yeah, you want to keep their offense on the sideline. And you also want that run game going because you mentioned Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead. They got some other guys that can get after the quarterback on this defense too. And that was a huge problem these last two games against the 49ers. They were two of the four worst graded games via pro football focus for their pass protection. 31 combined pressures allowed. Bosa had three sacks and almost double-digit quarterback hits by himself. And so you want to talk about a guy that's been a game wrecker. He's been doing that to everybody. But that has been one of the big takeaways in these two games is that you've got two rookie tackles. You're going to expect some struggles against a pass rush as good as the 49ers. But they have not been able to give Geno Smith near enough time to be able to operate. And if you don't have a running game that you can lean on to complement him, it makes it even tougher on the quarterback. And so that's obviously been a major lesson there. I just don't know exactly how they're going to be able to fi fix that because Nick Bosa is going to be playing in this football game. They're going to have Fred Warner and they're going to be at full strength along that front line. The offensive line for the Seahawks is just simply going to have to play better. They're going to have to execute better. And there may be some ways they can help those players. And I'm sure we'll get to that later in the show, but that has clearly been a major problem that has impacted the inability to sustain drives against the 49ers has put the offense behind the eight ball in. That's why they've struggled so much scoring just 13 points on offense combined in these two football games. They'll have to be much better, even if the weather's going to be really nasty on Saturday against the 49ers in the wild card round. Coming up next, we're going to shift gears over to the defense, the lessons that the Seahawks learned the hard way in their first two matchups against the 49ers. We'll be revisiting those two games. What doomed the Seahawks? both in Santa Clara and at Lumen Field in these two NFC West matchups. And later in the show, we'll be taking a look at what the defense can do from a coaching standpoint to avoid those same miscues and lead to potentially an upset in the wildcard round. We'll get to those defensive lessons coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It is officially wildcard weekend, and I've got – 
Lamar Jackson coming back from his injury and rushing for a pair of touchdowns to propel the Ravens and keep them competitive in the first round of the postseason. That might seem like a bold leap after he missed more than a month of action, but with prize picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players and then score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes the NFL, NBA, PGA, college football, and even disc golf. It's safe with fast, fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 when they use the promo code Locked On. Don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. This episode is also brought your way by TurboTax. Go to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Meet with an expert who will do them for you. TurboTax experts can relieve you from the stress of taxes and file so that you don't have to. Show your eyes things that are not taxes. Unpack a moving box of not taxes. Taste not taxes. Sing not taxes a lullaby. Hope not taxes sleeps through the night. Grab a saddle and ride not taxes into the sunset. With TurboTax, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish, ensuring your taxes are done right so you can relax. Feels good to be done with taxes, doesn't it? Come to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Into a TurboTax. Full service products only. Video meeting while expert does your taxes is required. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. You're listening to Tell the Truth Tuesday here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Alaska, Japan, or Brazil. We appreciate your support and listening Locked on Seahawks five days a week. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked on NFL podcast and get the daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, in-depth analysis, and the biggest games with NFL key predictions every Friday and Monday. Local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked on NFL, it's available on YouTube and wherever. You get your podcast. All right, Rob, continuing our Tell the Truth Tuesday, a full episode edition because we've got round three coming up on Saturday. The Seahawks traveling down to Santa Clara to face the 49ers in the wildcard round at Levi Stadium. And unfortunately, the first two matchups did not go the Seahawks way. They looked outmatched in all phases of the game as the 49ers won those two games pretty handily. And there's plenty of lessons to learn. We just looked on offense, some of the repercussions coming out of those games, just 13 points on offense. I think you look back at the Seahawks on defense in these two games, and there's actually more positives to glean, even though they had their struggles. With that being said, uh, there certainly have been some issues against this 49ers offense that have really hindered them in the two games and prevented them from having a chance to win. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to win football games, Corbin, when you don't turn the ball over, um, especially when you've struggled on run defense as much as the Seahawks have this season. I mean, that, that's been really the, the instigator to their defense. The, the games in which they've been able to create a turnover, then they've been competitive when they haven't been unable to to turn the ball over teams have been able to run the ball right down their throat um, in, in these two previous matchups between the 49ers and the Seahawks uh, San Francisco has a four to zero turnover ratio win. Um, they fumbled the ball. The 49ers did fumbled the ball twice 
in that week two victory, but they recovered both of their fumbles. So that to me is going to be one of the biggest things is Seattle is going to have to be able to create some type of turnovers. Now, whether that be being a little bit more aggressive in, in attacking Brock Purdy, whether that be trying to change up your coverage you know, that's something that we're going to be talking about here in a few more minutes. Um, but I do think that is critical, again, for all the different things that we just talked about on what Seattle's doing offense. One of the most important things is they are going to have to be able to create some type of turnover, some type of big play on defense if they're going to be able to emerge with this victory. You mentioned the two forced fumbles in week two, and that those were huge. Kobe Bryant forced one of them, and they weren't able to get on top of the ball and recover it. But even bigger in week 15, right before that Travis Homer fumble that we talked about that killed the Seahawks prior to halftime, Quandre Diggs had a perfect interception opportunity that he set himself up for. He jumped the route, he baited Brock Purdy, and then the ball bounced off his chest. He wasn't able to bring it in. And Quandre Diggs, when he usually has a chance at interception, he usually reels it in. So it wasn't that they didn't put themselves in position to create turnovers. They didn't seize those opportunities. They didn't fully execute. And you can't do that against a team as talented and well-coached as the 49ers, especially when there's a talent discrepancy. And I don't know how wide that talent discrepancy really is at this point. The 49ers obviously are a very good football team, but the Seahawks on both sides of the ball, self-inflicted wounds, not being able to generate those turnovers when they had opportunities certainly was a big problem. And as you just pointed out, there's always, you know, if you don't create turnovers, you can always lean maybe on your pass rush, but that has not been helpful for the Seahawks in the two games against the 49ers. They had one sack and four quarterback hits in week two. They were even less effective against Brock Purdy in their rematch in week 15, one sack and three quarterback hits. And honestly, Rob, I went back and I watched both these games. I found it hard to believe there were seven quarterback hits in those two games. <laughs> I didn't even think they had that good at numbers. Brock Purdy was sitting back there with so much time in that week 15 matchup. And I'm thinking about, the one double screen, a uh, fake screen that they ran and ended up going to George Kittle for a touchdown. He had so much time. He could have sat back there in a recliner and changed the TV channel a couple of times. And then, oh, you know what? I think I'll throw now. The pass rush just simply has not been there in the two games. That's a testament to the 49ers offensive line. It's a testament to the scheming by Kyle Shanahan, but it also is a detriment to the pass rush. They just have not been effective in these games. And it's put a lot of pressure on the secondary very difficult to beat this 49ers team with how well coached they are with their offense being a fine, a finely tuned machine. If you are not getting pressure on the quarterback consistently and, and they had their quarterbacks get the ball out quick and that makes it a lot tougher, but still you've got to find ways to put pressure on the quarterback. And it hasn't mattered who's been under center for the 49ers. The Seahawks have not been able to do that in these two games. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. I'm happy that you mentioned the, uh, about the fact that it doesn't matter who's been at the quarterback uh, for the 49ers. Because remember, we go all the way back to week two. It was Trey Lance yep. who started that game until Cody Barton knocked him out and ended his season prematurely. And I certainly hope for Trey Lance that he has the full recovery. Um, but then, you know, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo took over. Um, and then now, of course, with, with Brock Purdy. But you, you took the words right out of my mouth, Corb. I mean, if Seattle cannot rush the passer any better than this, this, and it doesn't really matter who the 49ers are going to have at, at quarterback. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, basically one sack in each of those two games. Um, it, this is 
with each of the things that we've just spoken about on offense and defense, I've tried to kind of sprinkle in a little bit of optimism. I have a hard time finding that reason to be optimistic for when it comes to the pass rush, just because of the fact that the 49ers scheme is that good. They do have that many weapons. Their left tackle, Trent Williams, is as good as it gets. It breaks my heart as a Seahawks fan to see anybody playing as well as he is left tackle position and also wearing number 71, which of course Walter Jones made famous here for the Seahawks. Um, uh, it's the, the 49ers are just a juggernaut in that way. Now, if we want to try to find the reason to be optimistic again, this fact that the Seahawks have nine sacks over the last two games does feel like Daryl Taylor is kind of taking his game up to another notch. Um, you know, but at the same time, I, I do think that that is an area of concern with the 49ers being able to run the ball as effectively as they do, including with Purdy, who's quick. Uh, you know, and then of course, being able to sprinkle the ball to their receivers, the tight ends, uh, Kyle Huschek is so effective in that way as well, really diversifies the San Francisco's offense. It's just very difficult to get any kind of pressure on the quarterback for San Francisco, unless you become very, very aggressive, you're sending nickel corners, you're sending safety, you're sending linebackers on blitzes. And if you're going to do that, then you put the rest of the def the rest of your defense in a very risky position. So to me, that's really where it kind of would come down to is if Seattle is going to be aggressive and try to boost their pass rush, then they're going to have to be incredibly reliable, fundamentally sound tacklers uh, the rest of the way. And that's really the issue when you look back at these two games against the 49ers, because again, I mentioned this beginning of this segment. It feels like there has been more positives in the defensive side of the ball in these two games against the 49ers than there was on offense. They have had sequences where they've done a really good job stopping the run. There have been some three and outs sprinkled in there. They forced six punts in the last matchup in week yep. 15. So there's a lot to like about the defense, even with the fact that the pass rush hasn't been there in those two games. What's really, really been a major issue for them in these games. And I think you can go back to the pass rush not being there and giving the offense time, the quarterback time to throw the football. It has been the explosives. You go back to week two, Debo Samuel, Daryl Taylor, speaking of the devil, Daryl Taylor had Debo Samuel wrapped up at the line of scrimmage and let him slip through his tackle. And then he was off to the races, goes 51 yards. They had a 38-yard touchdown to Ross Dwelly, their number two tight end against busted coverage. And then the game in week 15, we saw George Kittle rip off two long touchdown receptions, including one right out of the gate in the second half that should not have happened. They were busted coverages. And so you talk about discipline. You have to be on top of your game in regard to discipline when you are playing a team coached by Kyle Shanahan because you know he's going to have eye candy sprinkled in there. There's going to be a lot of different looks. He's going to find ways to create extra gaps, and he's certainly going to move his guys around to try to create mismatches against the coverage that you are running. If you are not disciplined and assignment sound, you are going to give up those big plays, and beating this team with all the weapons they have is extremely difficult, if not impossible if you're not able to do that. So yeah. anyway, we're going to move forward now into some coaching points on offense and defense. Cause we talked about all these lessons that we've learned, the things that didn't go well for the Seahawks. And it's a laundry list on both sides of the ball. And when that happens, you lose football games, but we're going to look at what the Seahawks can take away from those lessons on both sides of the ball to give themselves a chance to beat the 49ers in round three in the wild card coming up on Saturday. We'll get to those coaching points coming up next here in our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. 
This episode is brought your way by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball season. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to Tell the Truth Tuesday Playoff Edition here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my partner in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. Continuing Tell the Truth Tuesday Playoff Edition here, we've broken down the lessons the Seahawks have learned the hard way. And two losses to the 49ers on offense and defense, even sprinkled some special teams in there with the botched punt return by Tyler Lockett in the first matchup. Now, after revisiting those two games, the Seahawks have to find a way to right the ship in a number of different ways, clean things up, and give themselves a chance to try to extend their season. They're 10-point underdogs for a reason because they lost both these games to the 49ers. The 49ers have won 10 straight. The Seahawks They lost five out of six at one point in the second half. They were struggling, barely getting into the postseason, but you just got to get in. So let's get to some coaching points here, Rob. On the offensive side of the football for the Seahawks, going into this round three matchup, how can they avenge those two losses they had in the regular season on the offensive side of the football? What would be the first coaching point for you if you went into a team meeting and you were talking to players and working with the coaching staff? Well, I, I would just kind of acknowledge about the fact that I think that the 49ers have a, a, a pretty fearsome pass rush and that if you are going to have any chance in this game, that you've got to try to mitigate that pass rush. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And I think that the one that the Seahawks are best suited to try to do would be to load up their offensive line, both for the running game and to create more possible tight end, um, you know, avenues for Seattle to take advantage of. And if that is a offensive tackle, like a Jake Curhan, who is lining up as a tight end, fine. I mean, but I, I think that's one of the things that you have to be able to do is you have to use your big bodies to be able to create some push, to be able to, to control the line of scrimmage as best as you can and try to even out this game. Try to get that time of possession a little bit more in your favor. And then as you start to establish the run, that's where you try to take advantage of Geno Smith's accuracy downfield. I really think this could be a game where if the weather is somewhat cooperative, then I think that Seattle does have the receiver talent to take advantage of the 49ers corners who are good, but are not quite, in my opinion, are not quite as good as their players, uh, you know, in the front seven. And then finally, again, kind of going back to the tight ends. I mean, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, uh, Corbin, that Kobe Parkinson and what he is able to provide Seattle at his size. He is a unique weapon. He didn't have a single catch in the two games against the 49ers. And that to me is something that the Seattle absolutely needs to change. Uh, in, in the very first game against the 49ers, I think Seattle had four, uh, Seattle's tight ends had four catches for a grand total of 11 yards. I mean, talk about not being a factor. And again, it's San Francisco speed, their power in their front seven. So get those linebackers moving. So again, it's the running game and it is trying to get the short area passing going first before you worry about trying to get something deep over the top to your obvious superstars in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. 
Yeah, I'm glad you pointed out the extra lineman because we've started to see what I call the George Fant recipe come back out of the playbook the last couple of weeks, whether it's been Jake Curhan. We saw Curhan and Forsyth both check in. They went with a really jumbo offensive personnel grouping in that game against the Rams on Sunday. And I don't know if that's something that's necessarily going to work well against the 49ers, but they haven't been able to run the football much against the number one running defense. So that may be something that they lean on to try to get that run game going a little bit. And it might help them in trying to slow down some of the edge rush as well. Just simply having that extra offensive lineman that can come in there and help chip on Nick Bosa. If you get him more extended out wide, maybe that buys Geno Smith a little bit more time. And off that note, you've got to have pass protection for Geno Smith to have a chance to be successful in this game. But I'm also looking at number seven, last three, four, five games. And I think some of this has been because there has been more pressure on him and he has been pressing as a result, but he has to make smarter decisions. And I don't want to sound like I'm throwing out football cliches here, but you want to win this game. You have lost the turnover battle four to zip in the two games with the 49ers. You can't have that happen in this rematch. You can't turn the ball over. You got to be smart. You can't throw interceptions. You can't try to, thread the ball between three defenders, this defense will make you pay when you try to do that. And so I'm looking at Geno Smith. He's got to get back to doing what he was doing the first 12 games of the season consistently, making smart decisions, not trying to do too much. That means getting your tight ends involved in the middle of the field, safer throws. It keeps you ahead of the sticks. And then the running backs as well. Three points of pressure. Just That's a true coaching point. This defense, they like to come in and try to punch the ball out. They try to rip it out. They like to create turnovers like any good defense does. So you have got to do a better job making sure that you corral the football and you are putting everything you have into protecting it. So I think protecting the ball is critical. And going off a point that you made with the pass protection as well, the early downs have got to be more efficient. This goes right into the third down issues they've had. Again, six for 20 in those two games on third down. They're going to have to be more efficient on third down. How do you do that? There's got to be more punch in the run game. You can't take those negative two, negative three-yard losses in the backfield. Mix and match your zone and gap concept to keep that front line in their heels. I actually think this team is pretty good at running gap concepts, and we saw some of them, including out of Wildcat, against the Rams on Sunday, and as you hit on, the tight ends as well. Four catches for 11 yards, that is not going to cut it. Colby Parkinson not getting any opportunities, that's not going to cut it. Find ways to get the football to your tight end, which have been such a big part of your offense when it's been rolling. Didn't really do that till the second half of the second game in week 15. And then they started to find some traction. They got that late touchdown to Noah Fant as well. So get your tight ends the football. Now let's switch gears over to the defensive side of the ball. And I'm just going to be frank right now. And, and some of our listeners are going to be surprised by this because of how bad the Seahawks run defense has been most of this season. But I'm saying this based on the two games against the 49ers this year. San Francisco's had at least 34 carries in both games. So they have been able to rack up plays. They've been able to hold on to the football. Again, more than 23 minutes, time of possession. There have been some explosive runs. Jordan Mason with a back-breaking 54-yard run at the end of the Week 15 game. With that being said, Rob, I don't think you reinvent the wheel defending the run. And the reason I say that. Go back to that Week 15 game. Before that run by Mason, they had held the 49ers to under four yards per carry. You take out one big run for Christian McCaffrey, they bottled him up most of the game. They forced several three and outs. Again, six punts forced in that game. 
the defense more than played well enough for them to win that contest because they were more disciplined with their run fits and their gap integrity. And I thought they did a better job, at least in the run game, of swarming to the football and tackling. The tackling was much worse after the catch. That is a totally different thing they're going to have to address to be able to win this game. But I actually have felt like the run defense has been pretty solid in the two games against the 49ers. So you have to maintain your discipline and you've got to be able to swarm to the ball and tackle. Cause if you're not doing those two things, this team will run for 300 yards on you, but they looked pretty good in the two games. So bottle up what you did in those two games, try to cut out those couple explosives that ended up doing you in and you have a much better chance to win this game. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, again, you've got to be able to slow down San Francisco's running game, but I don't think there's any way you're going to be able to stop it. So, and, and that was one of the things that kind of gave me, a little bit more optimism than I was expecting when I went back and watched the tape uh, of those two games is that I, I agree with you. I thought that Seattle played run defense pretty solidly, more solidly against the 49ers than they had in, in some of the other disappointing performances that, that Seattle uh, has had so far this season. Um, so I, I do have some confidence that they might be able to slow down Christian McCaffrey in the 49ers running game. I do very much have some concerns about McCaffrey out of the backfield as a receiver. That is, of course, something that the 49ers took a great deal of advantage of in that week 15 victory um, in Seattle. Uh, and especially, as I mentioned this before, the loss of Jordan Brooks is significant. Now, I've been excited. We talked about Alexander Johnson and just his size, his physicality. He was impressive. So I, I think that um, what we saw against the Rams a week ago in the regular season finale, I think sets up Johnson potentially to continue to play ahead of Tanner Muse because he is the physically more stout guy. And I think that that might make some sense in trying to slow down uh, San Francisco trying to run the ball. But my biggest area of concern, my my little, I guess, coaching tip, if I was to give one, my certainly a suggestion would just be that you are facing a rookie quarterback. You have to attack him. You have to be willing to challenge him a little bit. Um, you know, when I, I've seen Brock Purdy based on what I evaluated during his time at the Iowa State Cyclones, I watched him in person at the East West Shrine Bowl practices. This is a player who is playing with a incredible amount of confidence and poise right now and at times he played with that at iowa state as well but you can get him rattled and so i think that if, if seattle is unable to rattle him then uh, the baby face kid is going to continue to win as effectively as he has so far this season as you mentioned corbin i mean he's you know the, the 49ers have a 10 game winning streak uh, you know, he's been he's undefeated at this point. But at the same time, if you do send some of those nickel blitzes like we saw with Kobe Bryant against the Rams, I think that's one of the reasons why Seattle put it on tape just to kind of remind the 49ers that they could be coming too. And that's exactly what I think. I think you're going to see a much more aggressive Seahawks defensive game plan against the 49ers in this game than we saw the first two weeks. I think that Seattle does basically feel like they're going to have to manufacture some points, manufacture some big plays. I think that's the way that they're going to try to do it. At least that's what I would try to do. It could result in Seattle basically losing this game by double digits, but that's what everybody expects anyways. So why not be aggressive? I think that's exactly what the, what the Seahawks are going to try to do, especially if the weather gets nasty. Yeah, I think if the weather's really bad, it's obviously going to put more pressure on the run games for both teams. And so that's going to create a little bit more of a one dimensional offense in itself. But 
I think the one concern I have with sending extra pressure is how good at screens the 49ers are. That is one issue with that. And just the scheming from Kyle Shanahan. But I would tend to agree with you when you look at Brock Purdy's stats. His yards per attempt go down almost two yards per attempt when he's blitzed. He's still completing 64% of his passes with three touchdowns and interceptions. So he hasn't been bad against the blitz, but he has certainly been a much more ordinary quarterback when he's allowed to just sit that back there in a clean pocket, he can pick you apart, especially in this scheme. And so I do think they're going to have to find ways. You hope your front four can get after him with the way they've rushed the pass the last couple of games. But again, this is a much different offensive line they're going up against, a much better one that the 49ers have. And so they're going to have to pick and choose when they bring that pressure. But I agree with you. I think that being more aggressive, sending five, six defenders at times to try to Speed up that clock for Brock Purdy is going to be key, especially in his playoff debut. A rookie that has played extremely well, but can you put some heat on him? Because he did uncork that should have been an interception to Quandre Diggs. He's forced into a few bad throws as that game progressed, and Seattle didn't take advantage of it. Get some pressure, and maybe you can get some of those opportunities again in this playoff game, and you can take advantage of it. And my last coaching point here, I mentioned the George Kittle touchdowns in that Week 15 game. One of them in particular, the one to start the second half, And Pete Carroll was candid about it. Tariq Woolen missed his assignment there. He did not execute his coverage drop properly. And that left George Kittle, of all people, wide open, catches the ball with nobody around him. And then the tackling after that was extremely poor. He waltzes into the end zone. They can't have plays like that. If the 49ers just straight up beat you and you were in the right spot and they just simply had a better play call or whatever, you can live with that because this is a really good football team. You can't live, though, with busted coverages. You have to limit yards after the catch. That goes back to the tackling. When George Kittle gets the ball, you got to get him down. You cannot let him barrel forward and get up, uh, get a bunch of yards after the catch. And I think if you are sound with your assignments, particularly against a rookie quarterback, we just talked about that play with Quandre Dix, you're going to force him into making some difficult decisions And there may be some throws he lets go of and then realizes, I shouldn't have thrown that ball. And this has been a secondary that has created a lot of turnovers over the course of the season. So if you can speed up that clock a little bit and your assignments in the back end are sound, you're not caught out of position, you don't botch assignments, that gives you a much better chance against this offense to be able to maybe come up with a few of those turnovers. And I think that's really going to be critical for them to have a chance as the underdogs to win this football game. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. We're also on Amazon. Just make sure to ask Alexa to play Locked On Seahawks, and it'll play our latest episode. Coming up tomorrow, it's Matchup Wednesday, Playoff Edition. We'll revisit the key matchups to watch on offense and defense. Seahawks 49ers going into this wildcard rematch at Levi Stadium. Thanks for listening in. You won't want to miss tomorrow's show. Go Hawks.